Acts chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 1. Not the way it appears in your bulletin, verse 21. So if you have a Bible, you can join in. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you be at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place.
Okay, listen, because this is going to be a quick one. <clears throat> There's some worship time left, and I want to spend some time with communion. I don't know of any more widely needed message today for people sensing where they are in their own lives than a message on being in transition. Practically everyone I talk to feels like they are about to enter another stage of their life. Something's coming, and they don't know what it is, but they just sense that the future is going to be different from the past. They may need it to be different from the past. They may want it to be different from the past. But that doesn't have anything to do with it. They just sense that something new is coming, and they don't quite know how to prepare for it. Now, I want to warn you ahead of time, this message is not about choosing between alternatives. That is a slightly different message. This is for people who know that something that they've always felt like would be a part of their life is coming. They don't know when. They don't know how. They don't even know exactly what. But they just sense it's coming. Just like the apostles. Who, when Jesus had foretold the ministry and the Holy Spirit, they didn't know what that was going to be. Even though they had been told it, even though their spirit said something was coming, they didn't know. So too we, and I feel like this myself, since that we are, in a sense, between times. Our past is what it is, and our future is going to be different, and here we stand in the middle, wondering when that difference is going to come. Now, if I don't do anything else this morning, I want to give you two scriptures to hang on to. Both of them are in Isaiah. One is, in, uh, one is Isaiah 30. It's one of my favorites. It's a promise to Judah and to Judah's children. And let's just start with verse 20 and read verse 21. Verse 21 is the main one. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression. Some of us are going through real rough times right now. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will behold your teacher. Now listen to this. And your ears will hear a word behind you. Saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. So there is a promise there that no matter how silent God has been so far, that as you continue with him as your teacher, he will confirm the way in which you are walking, whether or not it is the right way. And then there's another one, Isaiah verse 42, I'm chapter 42, verse 14 and verse 16. These are for folks who have sensed they have been in transition for a long, long time. There are some of you guys, some of you folks that have been in transition for a couple of years, three years, four years, five years. And you keep asking God, what's, what's next? And you don't get an answer. Read this. I have kept silent for a long time. This is God speaking. I have kept still and restrained myself. It's not that he doesn't have an answer. Is that he is intentionally not telling you yet because it's a matter of timing. But he says in verse 16, and I will lead the blind, that's how we feel when we look into the future, by a way they do not know. 
In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them, and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. So just in case you get discouraged and you think, Lord, I'm never going to know what my life was intended to be. I want you to hang on to those two promises, because those two promises are for you. And I want you to count on them, and I want you to stake your life on them. Now, just a little bit about preparing for a future we don't know. We sense in our spirit that it's out there, and we sense we will be very different people in the future, but we don't know how to prepare for it. Just a few things. First of all, two things that are not helpful from the Scripture reading. It is not helpful to ask the Lord when. You know, the disciples said, well, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? You know, they'd always been brought up that... that uh, when the Messiah would come, he would, he would restore the political sovereignty of Israel. And so they just ask him, when? When are you going to do this? And we do too. When we, when we wonder about our future, our first question is, when's, it going to, when's something going to happen? Has anybody ever gotten an answer to that question? I mean, how many people have predicted the end of the world? And has it ever happened? No. I mean, God may give you, well, this needs to happen first or that needs to happen first. He may give you that much, but God has never, in my experience, told a Christian or a, or a believer when something's given him a date. It just doesn't happen. So therefore, don't ask it. Don't worry about when. When is not the point. Second thing that is not helpful <clears throat> is to say, well, let's look at the past and extrapolate it toward the future. That's usually how we do. You know, God, I see how you've wor worked in the past here, and I realize that in the future, you know, it's going to be basically what it was in the past, only ahead of me. That's not how God works. The, the disciples could not have anticipated what ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit was going to be like from what they'd lived in the past, because they'd never had it before. We cannot anticipate fully and completely in a detailed way what our future is going to be like from our past. Please don't do that. It's terribly discouraging to some people because they say, I don't want this for my future. And for other people, it is so limiting that you cannot grasp the great thing that God is going to do with your life if you are staring into your past. There's no one who can anticipate the future by staring into their past. It just doesn't happen. Just does not happen. You can count on one thing. The truth will always come back. You will never lose the truth. Now that's a wonderful promise for people who are living by the truth and a terrible promise for people who are not. The truth always comes back. It is never buried for very long. But beyond that, you don't need to worry about losing what was in your past. Because the things that God has, no longer has for you will stay there. And the things that he does have for you will reoccur when you are with him. Okay, so don't worry about missing it. I know people say, oh, what if I miss it? If you intend on knocking and seeking and asking persistently, you won't miss it. God doesn't go away. He doesn't have something for you and then just sit back and play hide and go seek. He comes to you and if it's for you, you're not going to miss it. 
Okay, here are, the, here are a few things that are very important to do, though. So, and by the way, I'm going to be preaching a whole series of stepping into the future in December. How to, how to actually go into the future. So this is not just your last chance to hear this stuff. One, the scripture says, it's important to stick together. Verse 14, these all had one mind. They were gathered together. They were all gathered together. It's very important for you to know that if you're going to be making decisions about the future, you surround yourself with Christian people who can give you feedback about that. Because it's very dangerous. I mean, people who are isolated are sitting ducks for Satan. I mean, he can play with your perceptions, and he can play with your mind. And so, therefore, it's important that you have someone that you can get together with on a regular basis. That's a part of preparing for the future. So that when you go into the future, you take the network with you. You take your relationships with you. Um, I heard a parable once about a guy named Claude who could never see himself in a mirror. And he looked in every mirror he came to, and he couldn't see himself in the mirror. And it greatly disturbed him. In every other way, his life was normal. But in that one way, it was terribly abnormal. And one night he got invited to a party, so he fixed up as well as he could without a mirror. And he went to the party. And it was a wonderful party. And he met there a lady named Janice. And he was very taken with her. And for a moment, he forgot about this problem that had preoccupied him for so long. I mean, when he first went in, he went immediately to the hall mirror and then to the bathroom. And sure enough, he couldn't see himself anymore. But then when he met this lady, he kind of forgot about it. And he began talking with her. And then he forgot about himself and began to ask him about her. And was gathering all of the information until it came to a point in the relationship, in, in, the, in the conversation where he, he kind of jumped back and he said, well, I'll be. And she said, what's wrong? And he said, I can see myself in your eyes. And she said, well, I'll be. You know, there are ways in which we can analyze ourselves and feel like we see part of ourselves, but we will never see ourselves completely, except in another person's eyes. We will never have a correct perception of ourselves except how other people see us. Now, if you want a spiritual perception, you have to go to a spiritual person. There are people who will give you a natural perception and how they perceive you, and that, that's part of your picture. But if you want a spiritual perception of who you are and where you're going and what direction there is, you need to go to a spiritual person because they see spiritually. Scripture says that. Secondly, and this is the most important part, and I'll just talk about this for a little while, and then we'll, then we'll have the Lord's Supper. It is very important that you spend the bulk of your time in preparing for the future, devoting yourselves to prayer. It is the avenue for the future. Now, I know even as I say that, that is probably the toughest assignment that I can give some, to some of you. Because some of you are not natural prayers. 
But I want to say to you this. There is no other way to hear God. There is no other way. The spiritual language in which God communicates to us is something that can only be developed in an atmosphere with him, devoted to hearing him. There is a language of the Spirit. It's not a language that comes out of your mouth. I mean, I, I realize that people talk about praying in the Spirit and they're talking about speaking with a different tongue, but we're not talking about that kind of dynamic. That misses the point. The point is that, that sin, if you will, is static. Now, it's not that God can't speak to us unless we're saved. Because unless God could speak to us in some fashion, we wouldn't get saved. That's how we get saved, is that we have some inkling that God is trying to talk to us. I had a gal in, in my office yesterday and said, I'm not saved yet, <clears throat> but I really sense God speaking in my life. Is that possible? And I said, sure. You know, what you hear is much what you hear in a, in a, in a, along a radio that is losing its signal. You hear all kinds of static, and there's just a little voice. You can't make out what it's saying, but you know there's a little voice there. That's what happens to us before we're saved. We hear that little voice. Now, after we're saved, we're not familiar with that kind of language. We're not familiar with that voice. We have been totally separate from that voice before we've come to Jesus Christ. So we've got to learn a whole new language. Now, let me ask you this. How possible is it to learn the language of prayer where God speaks directly to your spirit without practicing that language. We had a gal in this uh, junior high person in the, in the congregation here who is taking Spanish. He's, she's into her third year of Spanish and she went down and lived in Mexico for three, three I don't know, two months I think it was. Um, and to learn the language. Why? Because in order to learn the language you have to be in the setting. You can't keep resorting to your native tongue. There's something that happens to you when you are surrounded and you do not have the alternative of English. See? Well, there's something that happens to you when you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in prayer. And you do not have the opportunity of continuing to refer to the people around you and refer to the people around you. You are in the sink or swim situation. Either you begin to understand what he says and what he's trying to communicate, or you don't. And that's what prayer does. It isolates us enough with God that we can get serious about prayer. And secondly, quietness is so important. Not only should we fast from our regular communication with people, but we should also be able to get quiet. You know, they've done research. This is, I find this totally amazing. They've done research. Um, the, when I say they, I mean this is the American Institute of Speech, Language, and Hearing. Did studies in the recent past. And they found that noise is an absolute disruption in people's lives. Of course, they did the, the experiments where, you know, the, the kids who were on one side of the school near the railroad tracks, they compared them to the grades of the kids who were other, on the other side, the quiet side, and they noticed a, a, a distinct discrepancy. The kids who were, who were interrupted by noise did not have the grades. They did, uh, they did other experiments uh, uh, about testing, uh, in testing, 
um, as to just people who had a window seat and people who were closer to the center of the building, there was a distinct discrepancy. But not only was there a distinct discrepancy in the ability to learn from noise, there was a distinct discrepancy in the ability to feel. Now listen to this. They did an experiment where a lady was with a broken arm, a lady in a cast, walking down the street carrying books. And she drops her books when people pass by. Now in the one setting, there was a person mowing the lawn. So there's a very loud lawnmower in the background. When she dropped her books in that setting, not one person stopped to help her pick up those books. As soon as they took away the lawnmower, and she did the same thing in the same spot, almost every person stopped to help her pick up her books. Noise has a distinct distractive power in our lives. And how much do we fill our lives with noise? Let me ask you something. When the Holy Spirit did come, what was the first first sign that he was there, there was the sound of the rush of a mighty wind. Now, how could you possibly have heard that if there had been a lot of noise? You've been in a party room. I mean, what happens when the noise level elevates? Do you stop and listen? No. You start talking louder so that you can be heard. It is so important that you get quiet. You know, this congregation is right on the edge of going into a future that no one knows much about. It will be very, very different than what we've been. And in response to that, the elders are sending me to Colorado for an extended prayer time to be totally and completely isolated just to listen. Now, it's tough for me to do that because I'm a family person and I miss my family. It's especially tough for me during football season because my kid's playing football and it hurts. But you know what? I can't hear God in, da in the daily context. I can't do it. And no matter how often I have a daily quiet time, and I do every day, it does not give me the listening power that I need on behalf of all of us to know what God's going to be doing here for the next decade. I just can't do it. I doubt that you can too. When you say, God, what? What will it be? I doubt that unless you get out of your regular context, unless you can stay still before the Lord, that you'll ever quite hear what's going on. <clears throat> so let me recommend that to you. And then one last thing, and we're going we're gonna to take communion. During that time, when he's talking about the future, he will also talk about the past. When Peter stood up and said, you know, one of us is missing, he was doing something very, very important there. He was healing a hurt of the past. And all of, you, all of us, as we've, as we've lived out our lives, have had brothers and sisters that have disappeared into sin and all of us have been wounded in relationships and Peter was saying we need to repair this so that we can prepare for the future there are some things that need to be forgiven here
Don't you think they were angry with Judas? There are some things that need to be forgiven here. There are some things that need to be left behind. And so that's what we're going to do. And so they went through that process. Now let me, let me just share something with you. It is widely thought that the same upper room that they were gathered in to receive the Holy Spirit was the upper room that they were gathered in to have the Last Supper. And so communion, as a part and a beginning for our future, is very appropriate. We need to first stop and repair our past. As we come to this table, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And I want to emphasize two things in that prayer. Number one, I want you to remember something in your past that unless you let go of it, you won't be able to go in your future. And I want you to let go of it this morning. I want you to quit it. I want you to stop it. I want you to drop it. I want you to give it to God. And I want you to let him repair that. And number two, I want you to pray for ears to listen so that you can hear him no matter how long it takes so that you can hear him and you know he's with you and he is leading you saying with his voice this is the way walk in it pray with me Lord God this is not a fun sermon this is a frustrating sermon because there is something so great but yet we don't know about it it's there but yet we have to rely on your timing and you're bringing it to us we cannot manipulate the circumstances so that it will come in our time we ask you to help us be still and wait and know that you are God some of us, maybe all of us, need to leave something of our past. Something that needs to be repaired, but we can't repair it. It's already happened. And we need to live, leave it with you, and we need to fix it this morning. We need to replace it with something else. Guide us, Holy Spirit, into those thoughts right now. And help us to leave that thing with you. And secondly, Lord... We pray for ears to listen and eyes to see. We pray that you would speak to our spirits and that we could learn that language and that we would isolate ourselves in prayer to you until we learn it and learn it well so that you can speak directly to us. We will listen to our leaders. We will listen to other wise Christians. But we need your voice. We need to hear you personally. And we know that that's not only possible, but it's why you sent Jesus Christ into our lives. So as we put our trust in him, Lord, speak to us. We pray in his name. Amen.